Welcome to Journey Church Podcast. It's great to have you with us. Here at Journey, we believe that Jesus should be accessible to anyone. So whether you're at home, work, or somewhere in between, you can have access to the weekend's worship experience. If you want to further connect with us, you can find us online at journeyorl.com or any social media platform using at journeyorl. We hope you enjoy the message. Hard work always pays off, but mere talk puts no bread on the table. Come on. Hard work always pays off, but mere talk puts no bread on the table. That's the message version if you're wondering why it looks different on the screen than in your Bible. The song that inspires today, like I said, is called Say Something, but in my study time, I felt that God had a different message that he wanted me to communicate this morning, and the message that he wanted me to communicate this morning was not say something. I believe the message that he has uh, in my heart for us today is do something. Do something. Why don't you tap the person to your left and in a nice, kind, Christian-like way, unless you're married and you've been dying to tell them this for the last two months, just tell them, do something. Come on, do something. Do something. I think it's a relevant message, especially for today's uh, day and age, because everyone today, especially in America, seems to have something to say. Seems like every day there's a new protest for protesters to protest. There's a new candidate running for some type of office and campaign and gathering people at some type of rally where people have something to say. If you use social media or Twitter, you know that every second somebody is saying something. Sometimes the things that they say catch traction, and then there's a trending Twitter topic with thousands of people saying something. Today in fashion, there's a trend with graphic t-shirts and graphic hats and graphic sneakers, and now you don't even got to say something to say something. You just got to wear the thing you want to say. Of course, we have 24-hour say-somethings on CNN and Fox News that, well, the camera's running, and so it doesn't really matter if they've done their investigation. It doesn't really matter if they've done their research. The most important thing to them is to say something. It doesn't matter if it's true. It's just you got to say something. And and I want to pause here and just say I am so grateful that I live in a country that gives us the freedom of speech. I am not knocking freedom of speech, the, the ability to be able to say what's ever on your heart or your mind without fear of retribution is one of the liberties that makes America Awesome. I was going to say makes America great, but I don't want to give any political. Um, makes America great, makes it awesome. Um, I appreciate it. The problem is not the freedom of speech. The problem is the expectation that just because you said something, things are going to change. That's the problem. And what my goal here for you today is to kind of connect speech and the words that God's given us and the desires of our heart with the outcomes that we want to see change, because things are not going to change unless our words combine with action. Um, I'm going to share a story with you I've never shared before, uh, ever in public, and it is the story of the first time I ever got hit by my dad, like spanked, like I would say beaten, but, but you know him. He's, I won't say that word. It was just hit. Um, and it's important for you to know his background. He grew up in a very abusive home. His father tried to kill him multiple times, and so for him... Um, he never wanted to hit his children. And so I, I was much older. I was probably maybe 10 years old before I ever got my first spanking. And uh, it was at a church event. It was a, what we called a lock-in, which is where all of the young people would kind of spend the night at church. And, and we were supposed to be praying and things like that. Well, eventually it was bedtime. It was probably like 2 a.m. It was bedtime. And uh, we all laid in bed and, and uh, we had different sleeping bags and stuff. And uh, me and my friends, Timothy and Kelvin, we were kind of talking and chatting 
And my dad looked over because he was kind of the chauffeur, not chauffeur, uh, what's the word called? Chaperone, thank you. Yeah, you know, he wasn't driving us around. He was the chaperone uh, for that room. And he looked over and he said, JJ, um, would you please go to sleep? And I was like, yeah, 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 dad, yeah, dad. And sure enough, I just kept on talking. And then he said, JJ, um, would you please um, go to sleep? It's late. We got to wake up in the morning and would you go to sleep? And I said, yeah, dad, yeah, dad. And I just stepped started talking, and then he said it a third time, and then on the fourth time, he looked over real calm and real peaceful, real deceiving-like. He looked over to me, he said, hey, JJ, with a smile, um, which only made it creepier. Uh, he told me, he goes, hey, I just want you to know that when we get home, I just want you to know that when we get home, I'm going to take off my belt, and I'm going to spank you when we get home. Home. And at that point, how many people know the conversation ended? I was quiet. <laughs> at that point, I'm just trying to win his favor back. I'm trying to convince him that what he said was enough. And, and it did not change. Listen, my attitude did not change. My behavior did not change until his words attached to an action. Now, in hindsight, I wish he would have warned me. I wish he would have just said, if you don't talk, then I will. He didn't. No warning. Just boom. Just right into it. Now I do that with my kids. We kind of give them a countdown. We're like, if you do it one more time, there's going to be action attached to these words. And then they listen. Um, and there's something about action attaching to words. Listen, the Bible says that Jesus was the word of God, the speech of God, the voice of God. That's what it says in John chapter one. In the beginning was the word. But we might only see Jesus in the New Testament, but you have to know that the speech of God, the word of God, the voice of God was all throughout scriptures. In Genesis, you see the voice of God looking for Adam and Eve after they fell. The Bible says in Genesis chapter three, and the voice of the Lord when walking through the garden, looking for man. You see Jesus, the voice of God in Moses' commandments. You see the voice of God in David's Psalms. You see the voice of God in Isaiah's prophecies. But it isn't until the New Testament that the world is turned upside down. Why? Because as John said, the word became flesh. In other words, it was the word taking action. It was the word putting on skin and bones and helping people and healing people. And when people saw action attached to God's words, they were never the same again. And so you have Jesus who, when a couple of friends try to get their, their other friend who's lame, he can't walk, they try to get him to walk again. They cut a hole in the ceiling and they lower him down in the ceiling. And Jesus looks at this man, he looks at the friends, and he goes, wow, because of your faith, your sins are forgiven. He uses his speech to make a difference in that man's life. And the man's happy. He's not complaining. He's thinking, okay, awesome, that's, that's great. But as he says that, there are some people in the corner that says, who is this guy? He doesn't have the power to forgive sins. What's he doing? And Jesus, discerning their thoughts says, you know what? Just to prove to you that my words have power, he went over to the man. He said, pick up your mat and walk. What was he doing? He was saying, listen, I'm not going to try and get through this world with my words alone. I'm going to let my action back up my words. I'm going to let my walk back up my talk. I'm going to show you that my words have power. Get up and walk. When Jesus was preaching to the 3,000 and the 5,000, he didn't just preach and send them back home. The Bible says they were hungry. And so he backed up his talk with action. He found a little boy that had five loaves of bread and two fish, and he stole it. I mean, that's what the Bible says. The Bible says he just took it. Just took it from the little boy and because and, he knew that he was going to give it back in abundance, which by the way, when God takes something from you, it's because he's getting ready to multiply it, but that's a whole other message. And so he took it, he multiplied it, gave the boy more than he came in with, and he fed all the 3,000 and the 5,000 people. Why? Because Jesus is not just your, you know, and I don't know where you are in your relationship to this book, but if you're new to this thing called Christianity, you might assume that this is a collection of quotes, that this is a collection of good thoughts and, and, uh, and just, you know, cute, kind of make you feel good. 
And it's not. This is not just a book on morality or laws or rules. Jesus didn't just come to teach and preach. What the Bible says, the Bible says that Jesus came to open the eyes of the blind, to set the captives free, to release those who are oppressed, not just to forgive, but to heal, to cancel debt, to heal racial inequality. He came to make a difference, to put an end to terminal disease. This is who our God is. He's not just a God of talk. He's a God of action. He's not just the God who says something. He's the God who does something. He didn't just say that he loved us. He backed up the fact that he loved us by giving his life for us. I thank God that I don't serve a say something, God. I serve a do something, God. It's unfortunate that the Lord gets a reputation as being the thou shall not God because of all of the movies that we see. Thou shall not, you know, lie. Thou shall not covet. Thou shall not steal. Thou shall not commit adultery. That's just 10 rules. But when, the, when, when Jesus summarized all of the 10 rules and all of the 613 laws in the Bible, he summarized them in two, love God and love your neighbor. In other words, do something. <laughs> he's a do something God who has a do something plan. I'm so glad that he's that way. And here's why it matters. Number one, because I want you to know that Journey Church is a do something church. We will not be a say something church. We're going to be a church who backs up the love of God with our Serve Saturdays and our outreach groups and giving away $40,000 to missions. We're sending people to India. We're sending people to the Dominican Republic, Nicaragua, Honduras. Why? Because we don't want to just stand up here and, says God, and say God loves you. We want to do something about, the, about that fact and about that truth. We're a do-something church. And the other reason why this is important is because I want to help you put bread on your table, like it says in Proverbs. What do I mean by that? Well, let me explain. I love my iPhone. How many people have an iPhone? Come on, all y'all going to heaven, all right? Um, uh, if you're an Android person, hey, I'm going to make an altar call at the end of this. You can get saved, and, and uh, we can. And one of my favorite features, and I know it's not exclusive to the iPhone, is the Hey Siri function. You guys know this function? This is when your hands are occupied, and you need Siri to do something for you, but you can't use your hands, so your words activate her. I guess I could call her her. And, uh, and, so, and so I remember re- recently, actually, I'm on my way to church, and, and I usually eat breakfast like, like on the way to church, and, and I got my water, and I got my, my, my protein bar, because I'm working out, and I'm on my way to church, and, and, uh, and I'm asking Siri to do something for me. I think it's to play the worship song, so I'm like, I'm like hey, Siri, play the worship song for me, and, uh, and she's not doing nothing, and I'm like, hey, Siri, um, play the worship song for me, and she's not doing anything, and I'm like, in the name of Jesus, Siri! Play the worship song for me, and it wasn't working. And I'm one of those guys that I need my stuff to work. Anybody else like that? Like, one of my pet peeves is when my things don't work. Like, I bought you, and you ought to work, you know, if, I'm, if I bought you. Um, and, uh, and that's why I had kids. Anyway, so, but, um, <laughs> it's for the work. And uh, that's why I went through it, and I pay all that money so that someone else can do the laundry. Um, and so, and so, and so I, I, I was upset, and I said, because it's a brand new phone, you know, that I got. And so I called up Apple, and I'm like, I'm, like, I'm, I'm going to return this phone. It's not working. Uh, your Siri, your Hey Siri function is not functioning. And uh, they said, well, sir, can I troubleshoot it? I said, I don't want to troubleshoot it. I want money back. I want a brand new phone because it's not working. They said, well, sir, just let us troubleshoot it. I said, I don't want to troubleshoot it. I want this thing to work and it's not working. They said, sir, can you just do one thing for me? I said, yeah, sure. They said, will you please check on your settings and make sure you have the Hey Siri function on? I was like, ma'am, this is pointless. But I'll do what you say. All right, thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs> and I turned it on. And listen, I want today's sermon to be your Siri. Here's what I mean by that. 
I want to give you the tools to be able to connect your speech to the outcome that you want your speech to do. But you can't do it because you're missing a step. Listen, there is a step missing between your outburst and your outcome, and it's called your output. I hope that slide is up. Yeah, you need to write that down. There is a step missing between your outburst and your outcome, and it's called your output. There are situations that we are shouting at in our life, and God is like, okay, I hear you. Now, here's what I need you to do. Get up <laughs> and do. That should be a little more interactive than that, just a little more. And do. Get up and do. I hear you saying something, but I need you to get up and do something. And so I want to talk about some situations in life that we often kind of meet with our words. And I don't want to condemn our words. I don't want to make anybody feel bad, but I want to give you a tool to be able to take your words to the next level. For example, oftentimes we are faced in life with a difficult situation. And when we are faced with a difficult situation, we come against our difficult situation by complaining. Somebody say complaining. Come on, even the way you said it, you said it nasty, just complaining. We are, let's admit it, y'all, we are a complaining people. I wrote a list of things that we complain about so I wouldn't forget it. I just wanted to make sure I touched everybody. We complain about our salaries, our backs, our kids, and Chick-fil-A being closed on Sundays. I don't care if it's for Jesus. I'm hungry. (laughs) Somebody. Come on. Is that our most frustrating thing when you pull into the drive-thru on a Sunday? And a part of you is kind of glad that somebody's honoring the Lord, and the other part of you is like, but I want my chicken sandwich. We complain about the weather, the Wi-Fi speeds, and that there's nothing to watch on Netflix. Thousands of shows, nothing to watch. We complain about not being married, but then once we get married... (laughs) (laughs) we complain about the person we married we complain about our tax returns or lack thereof we complain about our government our friendships we complain that we don't have a car but once we get a car we complain about the payments (laughs) this car's expensive you wanted it I don't understand what the problem is here we love to complain and it's almost in our nature to see the negative instead of the positive but let me give you an alternative Don't just complain about it. Ask, what can I change about it? Don't just complain about it. Ask, what can I change about it? I want to give you guys a story, true story. Um, My wife and I were at Disney World. We have passes, and every once in a while, we'll go out on a date, her and I, to Disney. And uh, because we have passes, it's almost a personal mission of ours to ride every single ride at Disney. And I think we've accomplished that. Have we ridden every ride? Is there a ride that we're missing? Are we gotten everything? We're on every ride. But there was one ride that we were missing. It was like off like our bucket list, like our checklist. We just couldn't get on it because the lines were always packed. And it wasn't the one in Pandora. We had gotten on that ride before this ride. It was the Frozen ride at Epcot. I'm not a big Frozen fan. I just wanted the, uh, like the achievement. You know what I'm saying? I just wanted to say I did it. And there was always a 90-minute wait. And so when you're a pass holder, you have the ability to get fast pass. And so we were always try to get fast pass. If you're not familiar with what fast pass is, fast pass is the ability to pre-reserve your spot in line so you don't have to wait in line. And so there, were, there was never any fast passes available for this ride. Finally, we're at Epcot, and, we, and she took like a couple months to get this fast. We finally get the fast pass. And we get the fast pass, and we go to the line, and, uh, and we wait in line, and the, we hear a, a voice come over the speaker, and it says, um, sorry to say, but our ride is currently experiencing uh, mechanical difficulties, and we don't know when it'll operate again. You can wait in line if you so choose, or you can go find another ride. Sorry for the inconvenience. Well, we are frustrated because this is the only reason we're at Epcot today. 
is to ride Frozen, okay? To sing along with the snowman and all that stuff. Okay, it's catchy, all right? Just admit it, it's catchy. And so we're there, and we're trying to ride this ride, and now we can't, and we're so upset. And, we, and so we leave, and my wife looks at me, and if you know my wife, she's very strong-minded, has a, has a great personality. She's sweet. Like, I don't want to scare you. Like, she's sweet, um, but she will mess you up, okay? So she, um, she, she looked at me, and she said, she said, babe, she said, she was pretty upset. She said, can I do it? And I know what that meant because I've been married for almost 10 years. And she said, um, can I do it? And I said, ah, okay. What she meant was, can I go complain? Because um, she's very strong, and, and a lot of times it's not worth it to complain. And so she kind of checks in with me. You know, sometimes if you have a weakness, you need somebody in your life that you can kind of bounce ideas off. Like, is it okay to go yell at this person right now? I need to know. And um, <laughs> is it going to be worth it? Is it worth it? Which, by the way, that's a whole other sermon series. And I want to preach a message one day called, Is It Worth It? Because I think there's so many things in our life that we give our attention to that's not worth it. And if we could just have somebody to tell us, it's not worth it. I think we'd save ourselves so much anxiety and so much stress and so much energy. Um, but I was equally upset about this, so I said, go. I felt like, like I unleashed the dogs, like, like I opened up, you know, heaven's gates and like Michael was blazing towards the archangel was blazing towards this poor guy. I had no idea what was coming to him. And so my wife goes up to me. She goes, hey, I just want you to know I've been waiting two months for this fast pass and, uh, and, uh, and, and I want to ride this ride. And uh, I, I want to, I want, when this ride goes, I want a fast pass for the next time this ride gets open. That's what I want. And he said, ma'am, I can't do that. Um, uh, he said, I can't do that. I'm, I, there's everybody. She said, every, he, said, he said, everybody's waiting. I love my wife. She's so amazing. She looked at him with joy in her heart, but also fire in her soul. And she <laughs> looked at him and she said, she said straight up, she said, well, I'm not everybody. And the guy said, here's three tickets to flights of passage. Here's three tickets. He couldn't give her the frozen ride, but he gave her three fast passes for all the other big rides in the park, which I was like, Go ahead, girl. That's what I'm talking about. That's all you. Some people are like, doesn't that make you feel like less of a man? She has to fight your battles. Nope, not at all. I enjoyed those rides. I had a great time. Great time. Um, and a lot of people say, well, isn't that complaining? It's not complaining. Why? Because it's complaining, but it's, it's good complaining. Good complaining. I've never heard of that before, ever in a church before. You're about to hear about good complaining. Listen, your frustrations are not bad. Your frustrations that you're experiencing in life, they're signals for you to go do something complaining is not inherently bad. People complain in the Bible all the time. Sometimes they got killed for it. Other times, God, God clapped for it. Why? Because complaining by itself is not bad. It's are you going to do something about the thing you're complaining about? If you're willing to do something about the thing that you're complaining about, I think God might help you. But if all you're there to do is grumble, listen, Paul complained, Jesus complained, but he did something about the thing that he was complaining about. He was complaining about sin and he gave his life to overcome sin. Are you doing something about the thing that you're complaining about? Because the worst thing you can do, listen, is detach your action from your complaining and justify it by calling it venting. I just got to complain about this. I just got to, I just got to, I just got to vent. Come on, blink at me if you've ever said that sentence right now. Come on. See people having seizures right now in the room. Just, yes, I've done that before. I've, I've, I vented, I, and, we, and can I just tell you, I think venting is hilarious. Let me tell you something about venting. It's not doing what you think it's doing in your life. You think that when you vent, what's on the inside is coming out and you're getting it out of you. Like you're exercising the demon by venting about it. You're not. Reality is you're actually doubling down on the emotion that instigated the complaining to begin with. 
What does that say in the Bible? Oh, I'll tell you where it says it in the Bible. Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. You're not venting, you're digesting. The words that you're saying are actually coming out, and because you're saying them, the emotion is being doubled down. What does that mean practically for me? It means that the more you complain about your job, the more you're going to hate your job. I don't get a lot of amens. I didn't expect a lot of amens there. Because I know you don't have the best job. And you're wondering, well, what do I do? If I don't complain about it, if I don't vent about it, what do I do? Do I just suck it up? No, you can complain. Go vent. But go vent to Jesus. Go vent to the Lord. Go vent to God. Give him your complaints. Give him your battle. That's what it says in Psalms. Look at what it says in Psalms. Psalms chapter 142, verse 1 through 2. With my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before my friends. I pour out my complaint before my husband. I pour out my complaint before my children. That's not what it says. What's it say? I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before. Take the thing that you're mad about and give it to Jesus. Give it to him. Complain to him and let him fight your battles. Come on, give God some praise if you believe that. I'm trying to free you. I'm trying to free you from your complaint. Well, what if I find a situation that I can't change? I'm glad you asked. The answer is, let it change you. Why well, I don't make enough money? Can't change that right now, can you? No? Well, then let it change you. Learn how to do a budget. Let it change you. Well, my, the person I'm in a relationship with, oh my gosh, they're just so frustrating. And, and I don't know, if, maybe if you're married and you really can't change it. Maybe you're like, I, should, I wish I could have changed it 30 years ago, but I can't change it now, and there I am, and I'm stuck in this. Let it build patience in you. Well, I have no friends and I've been coming to church for a while and I really don't know anybody. Well, well, let it change you. Let it build up a boldness in you and a confidence in you so that you'd sign up for a small group and meet some people and build some relationships. Let it change you. If you can't change it, let it change you. Another thing that I, uh, we engage with our words, and I think it comes from a really good part of us. I think a lot of us want to make a difference in the world, not just make a difference in our situation, but make a difference in the world. And we do this through encouragement. Now, I love encouragement. I'm, a, I'm an encourager by nature. Um, and I think that's because I have a lot of encouragers around me. True story. One time, I was preaching about encouragement. It was at a church about 4,000 people. It was my last church where I was a youth pastor at. And they asked me, they said, JJ, can you preach about encouragement? I did. And I put my phone here like I often do when I preach. I keep my phone there. And I forgot to put on Do Not Disturb. And so I'm about to preach on encouragement. And I'm like, all right, guys, today we're going to preach about encouragement. And I'm talking about it. And then, do, 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 do. which thank God I had that, that on and not like Jay-Z or something like that on my phone. It was, just, it was a traditional church. It wouldn't have gone over well. And so it goes off. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, my bad. I'm so sorry. And when I looked, there was a text message. And it was two text messages that had come in at the exact same time. One from my wife and one from my mom. The text message from my wife said, hey, baby, I'm so proud of you. You're going to kill it today. And the one from my mom said, hey, I'm watching you online. You're doing such an amazing job. I'm so proud to be your mother. Go kill it. And what was an interruption became an amazing sermon illustration. I said, I just want to let you guys know, I'm sorry that my phone rang, but I'm glad it did. Because the only reason I'm behind this pulpit is because I have people around me who believe in me, who continue to speak life into me, and who encourage me. People like my mom who just texted me. People like my wife who just texted me. Here's a reality. I want you to understand this. People will tend to become who the most important people in their life think they will become. 
which is why you need to guard who you're around, by the way. You need to get around people who think that you're it. You need to get around people who believe that you're special. You need to get around people that can see that million-dollar business in your future even though you don't even, haven't even started your business yet. You need to get around people who are constantly speaking future into you and, 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 and just greatness into your life because you, you will become who the most important people in your life think you will become. But that's not my point. Here is my point. Don't just encourage. I'm going to give you four words that can change your life. Listen, don't just encourage. Ask how can I help? That's so powerful. I appreciate a good word, and I appreciate an attaboy, and I appreciate a clap, and I appreciate a go get it. But four powerful words, the most four powerful words in the English language combined, listen to me, is how can I help? A person who is drowning does not need encouragement. Roll up on somebody in the middle of the ocean. <laughs> You can do it. <laughs> keep it going. You're almost at the shore. <laughs> You're almost, like 50 more feet. Come on, I believe in you. <laughs> a person who is drowning does not need encouragement. They need a lifesaver. They need somebody to jump in there and pull them out. And I think so many times we see people in our lives drowning around us and we give a pat on the back. We send a text message. We like their photo. And it's not having the outcome that we want it to have. We need to combine it with action. I, I love our small groups in our church, and I, re, I heard this story recently that I thought, wow, this is powerful. It was, uh, it was when we first started, our, uh, first started small groups. Just, it was a women's small group. And uh, one of our leaders, you know, they got together with their small group every Wednesday and did their whole teaching and their, and their, and their bit. And, and uh, somewhere halfway through the semester, one of the women in the small group, where well, her son began to self-harm. Her son began to cut himself and actually got put on suicide watch. And, and the mother could not leave the house uh, because um, she had to be there in case something happened. And she couldn't go to work. Um, she wasn't making money. She came to the point where her fridge was running out of food. And what I love about this small group leader is that they didn't think that their job was just to gather with a bunch of women in a room for an hour and a half and teach the Bible. Um, this small group leader left her job and for multiple days would bring lunch to this woman who could not leave her home. How powerful is that? It wasn't just the word. It was the word in action. It wasn't just encouragement. It was, how can I help? Here's what I want you to know. At Journey Church, every member is a minister. Every member is a minister. It's a shame that the word minister gets connected to a person with a microphone. But minister does not mean speaker. And minister does not mean pastor. And minister does not even mean leader. The word minister in the Greek is diakonos. And the word is literally translated, not minister, but servant. There are people in, you want a ministry? Go to work. There's a ministry waiting for you at your job. There's a ministry waiting for you at your home with your children. There's a ministry waiting for you in your relationships and your friendships. There's a ministry waiting for you in your local YMCA. There's a ministry waiting for you in your neighborhood. There's a ministry, and it's called serving. This has so many applications, I, can't even, I don't even know where to begin. Imagine, imagine if you have kids, not just getting mad at your kids when they bring home bad grades, but asking them when they bring home bad grades, how can I help? Imagine if, if, if uh, instead of just hashtag Black Lives Matter, you actually befriend a black person and say, listen, I see what's going on in the world. Not just, hey, man, you go get it, I love you, but how can I help? 
Imagine going to work for that coworker who's aiming for the same promotion that you're aiming for, but you sit down with him and in the name of Jesus, you say, how can I help? These four words are the most powerful four words in the English language because it doesn't just help another person, but it testifies to God's glory and God's goodness. There are people in your life who God is calling you to help, and I pray that you would do that. I pray that you would take the courage, take the boldness. And now, what does that mean? Does that mean that if, if you have to do what they say? No. You reserve the right to say no, but you should still ask. I don't want you to feel like you're bound. How can I help? I need $1,000. Can't do that. <laughs> Can't do that. I don't want you to feel like, well, I asked, and now I got to. No. You reserve the right to say no if it doesn't fit with your responsibilities, but, but at least ask because it can make a huge difference difference in the life of people. That right there, how can I help? That is worth your money and then some. If you would just ask people. It's a big, big difference. And lastly, I want to talk about worship. Worship is something that we do with our mouth, songs that we sing, Bible verses that we read or repeat or declare. I love worship. I want to read Matthew chapter 15, verse 8 through 9. It goes like this. These people, this is Jesus speaking, these people, and he's pointing to the Pharisees and Sadducees and teachers of the law and the scribes, all the people who were quote-unquote Christians, you know, quote-unquote religious leaders, quote-unquote the good people. He said, these people make a big show of saying the right thing, but their heart isn't in it. They act like they're worshiping me, but they don't mean it. Now, I get that. They say one thing, but they mean another. I can connect with that. I can relate with that. I've done that. There are times where I've said things to people and I've meant other things. There's times where I'm singing the song and I'm not really feeling the words. I get that. What confused me is what Jesus says just 10 verses later. Just 10 verses later, he says, verse 18 and 19, but what comes out of the mouth gets its start in the heart. It's from the heart that we vomit up evil arguments, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, lies, and cussing. So which is it, Jesus? Because he's confusing me. Listen, in verse 8 and 9, he said that when you speak something, the thing that you speak sometimes can be disconnected from your heart. In other words, my heart can be in one place, my words can be in another. But then 10 verses later, he says that anything you say is originated in the heart. And so now I'm confused. Are my words originated in my heart? Or is it possible to say something that, that isn't really inside of me? And the answer to that question is yes. Yes to both. Every word is born in a heart. It just might not be your heart that those words were born in. And so if I sing a song or if I read a verse and, and I like it, I can say it because it was born in someone else's heart. Matthew was born in Matthew's heart. Luke was born in Luke's heart. Isaiah was born in Isaiah's heart. The songs that we sing, they were born in someone else's heart. So it's possible for me to say something that was born in someone else's heart that hasn't really made its way down into my heart. Why is that important? Listen, in 1996 a song came out. It was a techno song by the Swedish band Aqua. Now, I don't think you might know where I'm going with this if you were in the 90s. I hate to admit that I like this song. I hate to admit that I sang this song often. <laughs> not, not like on my mixtape, it was on it, but it was on my hidden mixtape, the mixtape nobody knew about. You guys know the song that I'm talking about. All right, I'm going to sing just a piece of it, but then I can't sing all of it because it gets raunchy real quick. But, I, but if you know, it was, it, it was, I can't even sing it. I can't even, I just, I feel the Holy Spirit right now. I just be like, don't do it, but I'm going to do it. I got to do it. Um, it was, I'm a Barbie girl. 
in a Barbie world. I made of plastic. It's so fantastic. You can comb my hair. Stop it right there. Stop it. Can I tell you, man, I really enjoyed this song. Like, I wouldn't play it around my family or friends, but I would play it. I'm a Barbie girl. And I'm a Barbie girl. <laughs> I'm going to try and redeem this moment right here. Um, I, why do I say that song? Because if there was ever a song I did not connect with on a lyrical level, <laughs> it was Barbie Girl by Aqua, circa 1996. I mean, I... There was no way I connected with that on a lyrical level, but I really enjoyed the melody, and I really enjoyed the rhythm, and I really enjoyed the beat, and I believe the Holy Spirit brought that to my mind to share with you, because I think there are a lot of people today that fall in love with the rhythm of Christianity, the beat of Christianity, the way it makes them feel, but if you never engage with the lyrics, if you never engage with the message, if it lives on an emotional, ethereal, mental level, I don't think you're going to experience the change that you really came to church for in the first place. I want to let you know I'm not ashamed of being an emotional church. People say, man, I don't like your church because everybody's jumping and, and emotional. I'm like, I'd rather be in that church where everybody's emotional than in the church where they're not because God gave us emotions. We're supposed to sing, and we get emotional about everything else. We get emotional about sports. We get emotional about songs. We get emotional about movies. We cry in movies. Why is it not okay to cry in church? We, we cry in sports. Why is it not okay to cry in church? We cry when we get promotions. Why is it not okay to cry in church? We jump and we high-five our friends when, our, when the guy in tights that we don't even know scores a point. But why can't I high-five the person next to me when I talk about God's goodness and Jesus' mercy and grace over my life? I'm not ashamed of being emotional, and I'll be even more transparent. We do a lot of things in in this church to, to pique your emotions. We play songs that are secular that we hope that you'll like. We serve coffee in the lobby. Why? Because caffeine will get your emotions going. No one can be there's a, there's a secret conspiracy behind this. We have lights and screens and moving lights and the moving thing is broken on this light right now, but it does move. It'll move next week. Staff better make that happen. Make that light move next week. Anyway, um, we, we do all the, we got smoke and all that. Not because emotions are bad. You just got to complete the journey. Jesus will always engage you on an emotional level first. You just can't live in an emotional level. You got to keep the journey going. And at some point, God is going to ask you to take the next step on this journey. I'm glad that you feel good coming to church. I would hate that you did. I would hate if you didn't. But how long are we going to live in the feel-good zone? When are we really going to engage? And, and I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. Here's what I mean by engage. There's a guy in my small group. I love him. He's amazing. We, were, we, we started talking about a topic that was real serious. It's about forgiving your enemies. And how many people know when, when Jesus tells you to forgive your enemy, that's like an engage moment. That's when this stops being emotionally pleasant and start being, it starts being lyrically challenging. Do you get me? Like, it was easy to sing. Hallelujah, I love you, Jesus, you make every... It's easy, that. Love your enemy. That's when it's like, ooh, am I going to engage in these lyrics or no? And uh, he opened up about an ex-girlfriend who was unfaithful to him. And emotionally, he'd been carrying that around. We talked about forgiving your enemy, and uh, he said, I'd love to really but I, I, there's no way for me to contact her. And one of 
my co-leader, he, he looked at him, he said, you know what, sometimes you just got to set up an empty chair and just talk to the empty chair. And so that week, he went home and he went, I told him I was going to share this story because I thought it was awesome. He went to the last place where he could remember being happy with her. He sat down at the restaurant, looked across at an empty chair and said, I forgive you. Came back to group the next week, shared his story. He says, man, I feel the weight come off my... How many people know that was hard? But he had a choice and everything was stacked up against him. He had a choice to just stay there and say something or sit down and or sit down and do something. It was not easy. It was a challenge. But he decided to live his life according to the scripture. I'm going to do what this book says, even if it's hard. They say every preacher needs to ask themselves a couple questions when he develops a sermon. One of the questions that preacher needs to ask himself is this. What do you want the people to do on Monday? That'll give your message some direction. So I took that to the Lord. I said, God, what do you want me to tell them to do? The Holy Spirit said, something. Something. And I took that to mean that I could give you a million examples of what your next step is. But I believe God's in this room right now and that you know exactly what that step is. For some people, it's forgiving an enemy. For others, it's taking a risk. For others, it's joining a team. You've been coming to Journey Church for months, and, and for whatever reason, you enjoy it. We love you. You love it. You can stay there all you want, but you're starting to feel like God wants you to do something. I want to invite you to step forward. It's at 12:30, right here in this room, off to the left. Today's the day. We're gonna line up a bunch of teams, ministry teams. You can join a team and do something. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's not. Whatever it is, today is your day. I believe God sent me to church today to give you the confirmation that you've been waiting for. Somebody here today told the Lord, I just need a sign if I'm supposed to do this or not. And I want to say God is here today to say, do, do something. Go after the dream. Forgive your enemy. Maybe start tithing. Whatever it is for you, let go of that hurt. Start going to counseling. Whatever it is, it's time to do something. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you've been blessed and encouraged by this message. We'd love to know how this ministry is touching your life. If you would like to share your testimony or if you have any prayer requests, please email us amen at journeyorl.com where we'll have a team of people ready to celebrate with you and pray with you. Also, if you would like to help support the ministry of Journey Church in a financial way, you can do so by visiting journeyorl.com and choosing the giving option. Or text JOURNEYORL to 77977. We hope you'll join us again soon. Have a great week.